When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. The following podcast contains explicit language. You're listening to Working, the podcast about what people do all day. I'm Jacob Rogan. This season, we're sitting down with the writer and artists behind the comic book Batman to learn a little bit about how their stories of the Dark Knight come together from conception to execution. For this episode, we chatted with David Finch, a veteran penciler who starts the process of extracting images from a writer's ideas. He talks to us about everything from the kind of paper he uses to the way he got started in the business. In the process, he also explains why he has to read scripts carefully before he begins and discusses how he collaborates with the inkers who help complete his work. Then, in a Slate Plus Extra, Finch talks about some of the superheroes, other than Batman, that he likes to draw. If you're a member, enjoy bonus segments and interview transcripts from working, plus other great podcast exclusives. Start your two-week free trial at slate.com slash working plus. What is your name and what do you do? My name is David Finch and I'm a comic book artist uh, working for DC Comics and uh, uh, I just did a, a run on Batman with Tom King. What kind of art do you do? What What's your role in that process? I'm a penciler specifically. Uh, there are times I'll do inks, but for the most part, and really partly because my inker is better at inking than I am, and partly because just time constraints, uh, I do the pencils um, from a script, and then it goes to an inker who uses a brush, a quill, and, and different uh, tools to make things uh, completely black and white, more printable, and and ideally uh, more detailed and better, which which my anchor certainly does. Awesome. Well, well, we'll get into all of that in a second. But before we do, can you tell us what your background is? Uh, how did you come to working on comics? Well, you know, my background's a little probably unorthodox. I am a high school dropout. And uh, I... I I knew that I could draw, but you know, I come from an auto town, Windsor, Ontario. It's it's uh, it's pretty far from any kind of an artistic, you know, mecca, I would say. And I, I never saw art as being an option. And I actually failed art a couple of times in high school. I, I took it because I thought it would be easy, but the things that they had us do were so <laughs> mind numbing for me. I couldn't handle it, and so I, I just I didn't see art as an option at all until. My choice was uh, going back to school or, or finding a job, and I, and. Uh, at the time, my sister used to read comics, and 
I picked up one of our comics. I never really gave him a chance before, and uh, I, I realized, you know, it's it's whole worlds, and it's created from whole cloth from inside your head instead of, you know, looking at a lot of reference and just laboriously copying things, which I I think that's what really what killed me in, in art class. I hated doing mm-hmm. that. So, uh, yeah, I just I, I loved it right away, and I'm pretty obsessive. So, uh, you know, <laughs> I did it 12 hours a day until I got my first break. How did that break come about? I went to a couple of different conventions. My first one was Detroit, and I got a lot of pretty serious rejection. Actually, a lot of good help, too. I find the people that are are the most vicious are also the most helpful, if you're willing to listen. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it took me about two years of going to conventions, and I, I ran into David Wool, who is the editor-in-chief at Top Cow. Top Cow Productions is uh, the Mark Silvestri, uh, his company. Um, he was a longtime Marvel artist. He did X-Men and Wolverine, and really, he was my favorite artist. And I think I got my break with him because I was so influenced by his work that it really it hmm. fit. Uh, and so I, I got a three-month internship, and it was basically a chance to, to prove myself, and that's how we all started at the time. So I was probably really not ready to be working in comics, but I was ready to learn, which is what I went and did. So it was very much on-the-ground education f- for you, it sounds like. You learned first from reading comics, and then from just doing them. Yeah, really. It, it absolutely was, which is why I feel uncomfortable saying that I'm completely uneducated because it's not true. I really learned uh, you know, from Mark Silvestri, who was a great teacher and a great boss, but also from the other artists that uh, were coming up with me. You know, we, we really played off of each other, and we were very competitive with each other, and I, th- I think it really helped foster a lot of talent. There were a lot of you know, artists that are still working successfully in the business and some artists that are working in other businesses very successfully that came out of Top Cow. You primarily have worked on superhero comics throughout your career, it sounds like. Do you have a special love for superheroes, something that that drew you to these characters? Uh, You know, I I really, I think initially for me, I was drawn to the artwork. Um, I I came up right around the the time when Image Comics was was just starting and that was like the really visual you know, things hanging out of panels and, you know, big muscles with veins and the whole thing. And that just really appealed to me. Um, uh-huh. And when I got to, to Top Cow, I was more of a big fan of, of Image Comics at the time because that was like the exciting stuff that was going on. And um, it, it really, uh, truthfully, I, I always loved Spider-Man. I love Wolverine. Um, I love some of the characters, but it wasn't really until I got to Marvel Comics and started working with Brian Bendis that I became a huge superhero fan. I think he's such a phenomenal writer. Uh, he, he just really made them real for me and really actually made me a fan of of the kind of work that I was doing in a way that I wasn't before. So how did you end up uh, at DC Comics working on Batman with, with Tom King? Uh, well, originally, I ended up going to DC Comics entirely to do Batman. Batman was my dream job for a long, long time. Uh, just visually, I think it really fits the type of work that I like to do. Uh, I actually did Moon Knight uh, at Marvel for a little while entirely because I wanted to do Batman and I was under contract with Marvel. And I love Moon Knight um, I, for his own sake at this point now. But yeah, it was <laughs> I, I, I just wanted to do Batman. So uh, the time eventually came when I, I felt like uh, I was I was ready to make the jump and, and go for it. Um, I did a, a good long run of Batman. I actually wrote Batman for a little while on my own. Uh, disastrously. <laughs> I found out how hard it is to write. And uh, um, it was a bit of a long road. I did some work with Jeff Johns for a bit, and I finally got the chance to go back to Batman. 
uh, something I, I have never done before in my career. I've never done a character, drawn something, and then gone back to it. So mm-hmm. it was a privilege to, to be able to go back and do that with Batman, especially with Tom King, who's really, you know, an up-and-coming writer, um, critically acclaimed and getting more and more attention at the time. So uh, I really, I got very, very lucky to be t- teamed up with him. So generally speaking, whether or not you're working on Batman, what's a typical day like for you? Do you have a regularized schedule? I do. Uh, it's it's summertime here right now, and I've got three boys, so it can be a little bit hectic trying to make it all work. But uh, I wake up in the morning, I have breakfast with the family. We always try to have meals together as much as we possibly can. Uh, then I, I go to the gym and work out um, as much time as I can fit in. And, and then I, I work all day until around five o'clock, usually lately is around when I can get in. And then, uh, you know, it's, it's dinner. We spend time with the family. We do a few things and maybe go ride some bikes or, or something. And then, um, around seven thirty or eight o'clock or so I, I get back to work and I usually work till about midnight. So you, you work a pretty full day. It sounds like. Yeah. Well, you know, it's, it's really the only way to do it. I, I, Really, the requirement in order to do a monthly book is to be able to basically do a page a day. And there are a lot of ways to do that. You know, you can do a page pretty quickly and uh, pretty loosely and and have most of your time. But then, you know, the result is just not really there. And I want it to be as good as I can possibly make it. So it's worth the sacrifice. When when you're working, do you have a studio space that you work from or you just spread out on the uh, on the kitchen table, a separate office? <laughs> I have a separate office. So it's a studio space, but it's just in the house. It's mm-hmm. uh, it's in the basement. I've got my own room. I'm I'm a bit of a loner, you know, so mm-hmm. it's in the far back corner of the basement as far away from everything as I can possibly get. And, you know, with three uh, young children, it's mm-hmm. there's there's no <laughs> place that's far enough away. I, I love them, <laughs> but yeah, it can be a little tough at times. Yeah. Uh, can you describe that that space to us? What what kind of stuff do you have around you as you're working? Uh, well, I've got all my books and I've got lots and lots. I've, every once in a while, I go through and just try and call it because I've only got so much shelf space. And uh, I've got some toys. I, I did uh, a book called Forever Evil with Jeff Johns, and we did a, a line of toys based on some of the characters from that. And I've got some statues from some of the stuff I did at Marvel, a Batman statue that I did. And then I've got stuff that I've just collected um, I've got a lot of toys down there. So yeah, just, you know, a lot of comic book <laughs> stuff that I've collected over the years. And then uh, artwork, I collect a lot of other artists, cheaper stuff really, mm-hmm. because it's all I can get away with with my wife. But I've got a lot of <laughs> art from, you know, a lot of my favorite artists up on the walls. Like uh, from other comic book artists? Other comic artists, yeah. Yeah. Are there are there artists that you, you're you particularly proud to have in your collection there? Oh, yeah. Well, I Kevin Nolan, I think, is probably my pinnacle. I'm a huge, huge fan. I've got Neil Adams, which is you know pretty special to me. Uh, Simon Bisley, Mark Silvestri, my old boss. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, John Romita Jr. I've got, uh, and yeah, some other ones. I'm gonna forget something right now that I'm gonna call, <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> So you try to do a page a day, uh, but you are also working, obviously, from from scripts. Uh, last in the, our last episode, we spoke with Tom King, uh, who who writes some of the scripts that you work from. What's the first thing you do when you get a new script from a writer? Uh, well, I read the script first, and I, I tend to be pretty slow reading it because, as much as I try to just read it for its own sake, I can't help but put it together visually in my head at least a little bit. So. Uh, yeah, I give it one good read through and then, um, I read it again, just 
really specifically with trying to figure out how I'm going to approach each page. Uh, and then that way I've, I've got enough of the sense of the, the overall script that I find if I don't do that and I'm, I'm not careful with that, I can paint myself into a corner with the storytelling mm. a little bit. So I want to know exactly where the story is going so I can plan for usually, and I find with a writer that's, that's as skilled as Tom King, I very rarely have any kind of trouble because if there's something coming up, like let's say a character's in a room and you need a door in a particular place five pages down the road, well, he'll tell you the minute he describes the room in the first place because he knows what he's doing. Mm -hmm. But I try to avoid those kinds of problems by reading through the whole script. And then, you know, every morning I wake up, I know there are some artists that will lay out multiple pages at a time. I'm too lazy to do that. So I just wake up in the morning <laughs> and read the page over again. And if it's complex, I'll do a little layout. If it's not, and I feel like I kind of know what I want to do with it, I'll just go right to the page and, and just sketch loosely on the, the full-size paper. Mm -hmm. uh, if you ever have a question or concern, do you communicate with the writer? You call them up or text them or something? I'm a horrible communicator, so no, I really don't. And there are times <laughs> that's gotten me in a lot of trouble, uh, which is why I, I think that I'm I'm really good working with writers that are uh, clear <laughs> and also that are, you know, open to a little bit of interpretation and, and giving me a little bit of room. But yeah, I'm uh -huh. a terrible, terrible communicator. There are times I'll communicate, but for the most part, yeah, I just, I, I just, uh, shake my fist at the wall in my room and don't say anything. You mentioned having some, some difficulties, some conflicts, maybe even, uh, can, can you tell us a little bit more, uh, about that, about those hiccups along the way? Uh, well, I'd say the biggest hiccup that I ever really had was was uh, on a Marvel book that I was doing, and uh, I I got the first two scripts um, of a, of a book, and I agreed to do the book based on the first two scripts, and they were very action packed, and it was it was a very dark comic. It, it was exactly what I wanted to do. I thought it was great. It was very well written, and the book was being written by a novelist. Uh, so this was really his first comic work, and I thought it was very impressive. I mean, you know, he seemed to really understand the medium and. Uh, he was great. And then um, once I started drawing the book, it completely veered in a totally different direction. It ended up being the main character out of costume in a small room every single page. And then he would go to a restaurant and sit in the restaurant. And it was it was written like a TV show, like a, a no-budget TV show. And I got so angry with it. I, I started just drawing in double-page spreads of, of stuff. I, I started making things up. <laughs> <laughs> just to try and keep it, you know, I mean, I've been doing a comics for a long time and maybe I'm not, look, I'm, I, this is where I think, you know, you could talk to the writer of that book and he would tell you that I was the worst experience he ever had. And I think he could say that legitimately because we just had such a different vision and I wasn't willing to let him, as far as I'm concerned, flush the book down the drain. Because, you know, a book mm. that's visually completely dull, who cares? I, I know I don't. You know, it's a visual medium for me first. So, yeah, I fought him tooth and nail. And uh, eventually it got to the point where I I just threw out the script and started drawing something different. And the editor-in-chief got involved and I had to redraw half the book because <laughs> and then I we, uh, we talked on the phone, yelled at each other, I hung up and that was the end of it. I quit. So, yeah, that was, that was probably the worst experience. And, and really, I mean unfair of me because he was he was coming on this is his story and what he wanted to do and you know as the artist it's it's not my place to be dictating the story so yeah. i kind of overstepped but at the same time i thought what he was doing was garbage <laughs> so one of the one of the issues that we were one of the comic book issues that we were talking about with uh tom was was issue 24 of his run on batman uh in which batman 
proposes to Catwoman. Uh, and he claims that he really, really wanted to work with you on that issue, but he was also worried that you would get frustrated with it. Uh, as I think he put it, because there was no punching. Uh, was he right to worry about that? <laughs> no, not at all. I, I, I love the punching. I'm all for it. You know, it's it's my favorite. But I also love anytime a writer gives me imagery that's iconic and powerful. That's that's really. I, I think that's actually my favorite, even more than you know, fighting. And there was mm -hmm. a lot of that in this issue. I, I thought it was um, it was very visual. So yeah, it, it, I mean, he gave me rain. He gave me Batman on a gargoyle overlooking the city. He gave, you know, he gave me a lot to work with. Batman on his knee proposing to Catwoman. That's right, which, you know, <laughs> is uh, maybe not my... I feel like I'm pretty good at drawing angry things, you know? But if it's <laughs> supposed to be touching, I don't know if that's really my forte. But, you know, what do you do? What do you do? Uh, are there qualities besides those kind of iconic images that make a script especially exciting for you as you're, as you're reading through it, as you're preparing to draw out those pages? Uh, you know, the characters can definitely help. Um, uh, it's exciting for me when I think the the characters really come to life and it's really well written. And when they're when I'm reading the story and I'm I'm really engaged and I want to know what's happening next. And you know, uh, when I'm reading it like a fan, and and that makes a mm -hmm. big big difference for my excitement level. You know, if I'm really into it and I think it's it's great stuff, um, it, it makes it more fun. But you know, truthfully, I <laughs> I I like the action. I like the the big images. And when I get that, yeah, I'm happy. And uh, you know, when I'm drawing, um, you know, a scene of a, a conference room with people having a big, long conversation, I'm not having a good time. No matter how well written it is, and, and there are times I've, I've done those kinds of scenes, and they make all the difference in a book, and they're necessary, but yeah, I, I hate life on those days. So let's, let's talk about actually drawing a, a page. You said you sketch out the page uh, on pa the paper itself first? Yeah, I would say usually I do. There are times, and it depends if it, if it's a little more complex, or if I'm just not sure how I'm going to approach it. Or and there are times actually that I, I have just a hard time figuring out how the panels are going to go on the page. There's there's always you know multiple different ways that I can approach any page. Sometimes a horizontal panel is going to make it work well, and sometimes a vertical panel is going to make it work well. And I I want to make sure especially that the most important panel on a page is the best represented, but then that the other panels also work with that. So usually that works out all right. And when it doesn't, I'll do a bunch of little thumbnails and, mm -hmm. you know, every once in a while, I'm so confused. I just I do a bunch of thumbnails and, and I give up and I just draw on the page anyway. So yeah, I tend to wing it, really. <laughs> What's the best way to learn a language? Immersion, living where the language is spoken and using it every day in everyday situations. But if that's not on the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way, and that's with Babbel. I've used apps in the past to learn new languages, but when I came across Babbel, I wondered if it could help me refresh my knowledge of a language I once spoke well, but was now a little bit or quite a lot rusty. I have to say, I was impressed. The advanced lessons were really useful tips and idioms that can help with in-depth conversations on topics that I can actually imagine chatting about. 
Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel is designed by real people for real conversations, and the tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. What's more, all of Babbel's 14 award-winning language courses are backed by their 20-day money-back guarantee. Here's a special limited-time deal for working listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for working listeners, at babbel.com slash working. Get up to 60% off at babbel.com slash working, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash working. Rules and restrictions may apply. Can you describe the actual physical paper on which you're drawing? Like, how big is it? What kind of paper stock is it? It's a Strathmore 200 series two ply. <laughs> kind of guessing a little bit. I think that's right. And it's oh. 11 by 17. So it's. Okay. The overall paper is 11 by 17. The image area is just slightly smaller than that. And that's going to get shrunk down to something that's eight and a half by 11, right? Is that the right, size of a comics yeah. page? So how do you manage those shifts of scale that are going to happen? Do you have to only use parts of the page or, or, or what? Um, you know, truthfully, I don't really manage shift of scale at all. I think, um, yeah, when I was first starting... I was trying to get work, and I remember showing my artwork to uh, another artist at a convention because I would go to conventions and just show anybody that would look. And he said, "You know, a lot of this stuff is not going to even print because I was, I've always been pretty obsessive, so I would put as many tiny little lines in there as I could." Mm-hmm. And uh, um, he was right. You know, the first stuff that I did was a bit of a mess with that, and so you know, I kind of learned. I think just over time, just naturally what would work. And also I worked with inkers, even right from the beginning, I worked with very good inkers that could kind of interpret and make things scale properly. And then eventually Mm -hmm. it just becomes second nature. So I don't really have a great answer for that. It's not something I Mm -hmm. consciously do. I think it's something that just, you know, you, you find a comfort level with over time. But do you go to the very outer edges of that 11 by 17 page? Uh, or, Or is there like a border on the edges? Well, there's there's a couple of borders, actually. There's the overall outside border that I would draw to, and it's not quite to the edge of the page. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there, just inside that, there's actually the cut border, and that's where when the printer gets a hold of the page, they'll, they'll cut um, the outsides of what's printed. So actually, there's a, there's a small sliver of artwork that doesn't ever get printed just mm-hmm. so you can have a full bleed. And full bleed basically means that the artwork goes all the way to the outside of the printed page. And then on the inside of that, there's the uh, panel border outline. And that's where you put all the panels. And that's where the letter makes sure all the, the dialogue balloons stay within. So mm-hmm. it's it's like a three-stage. There's a panel borders. There's a place where the printer cuts. And then there's a place that we draw to just outside of that to make sure that it gives the printer room to cut. Interesting. How long does it actually take to do a page? You say you're trying to do one a day, but... Break that down, you know, hour by hour, if you can. You know, how much of your day is filled with each part of it? Um, I, I would say between three and four hours is is my layout phase, and that includes a really loose sketch on the page, uh, ruling in the panels, and then I 
uh, I have a kneaded eraser, and a kneaded eraser is essentially like it looks like Play-Doh, and it mm. works well for uh, erasing pencil lines, but leaving a shadow of it, so I can still see what I'm doing, and that's how I can manage to draw um, really loose garbage all over the page, just scribbles mm. everywhere, and then still get a tight drawing on top of that without it being a mess. So I, mm. yeah, I just lighten everything down with my kneaded eraser. And then I draw essentially a cartoon on top of that. So it's just no shadows, no line weights, and just the the outlines and basic details to get the figures and the backgrounds in. And then I spend the second half of my day um, putting in the shadows and the rendering and and the detail that it that it needs. Um, and you know sometimes I can take four hours sometimes it really depends on the page you know i'll have pages where the entire page will take me four hours it's just one big figure or something and then other days where you know i'm up until three o'clock in the morning or you know worse comes to worse some days yeah, i'm working a couple of days on a page and then i end up paying for it later in the week trying to catch up hmm. the the famous now famous uh maybe infamous even uh image of Batman proposing to Catwoman that I mentioned earlier is a, a single splash panel, which is to say it's the whole page is taken up with this one image. Is a page like that one easier or harder than one with lots of small panels intersecting in complex ways? That one was much easier. And it was easy because it's just a flat shot. Um, mm -hmm. Nothing's really overlapping in any kind of a complex way. It was a very easy page to draw ultimately. And I... Uh, I didn't have very much time to draw issue 24. That was a very quick one for me. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I wasn't initially uh, planned on, on doing it. So um, I drew that page first and I ended up paying for that because, uh, and I always say, you know, and I, I did with this, I read the script, but I didn't pay enough attention. I was in a hurry. So I drew the last page. They both had their cowls on. So Batman had his, his old mask on and so did Catwoman. And then I realized that they had actually taken them off a couple of pages earlier. So I had to go into the computer and redraw their heads uh, after the fact and actually put the rain in too. I didn't have the rain in there initially either. So huh. yeah, um, that was a quick page to draw, but uh, I, I guess unrelated. I, I tend to try to start with page one and work my way through uh, in a linear way instead of jumping around. And whenever I jump around, this is what happens. And that happened on that page. Yeah. You mentioned making corrections uh, on the computer, but it sounds like you do the majority of your work uh, with pencil and paper. Oh yeah, everything's pencil and paper. Um, I, I, I spent a year actually doing everything on the computer, and I, I think I spent a year really doing some of my worst work. So uh, I'm much more comfortable with paper. I think you know I'm I'm getting older now. I'm 45 years old, and you can't teach an old dog new tricks. So yeah, mm -hmm. uh, I just I like the pencil. I like the feel of it. Uh, it has a few disadvantages. If I draw a figure too big or if it's coming off the page, I'm, I'm stuck with it. Uh, I need to either make it work or erase it, which happens a lot. Uh, I can't just resize, but um, I just feel so much more comfortable working that way. Yeah, the only time I ever use the computer now is uh, if something's already inked and uh, it needs to be corrected. In the old days, uh, if it was already inked, I would have to redraw something and then it would get patched on later and have to be re-inked by the inker. Uh, so it was a mm. bit of a process. Now I can just sit down on the computer and an hour later, or depending on how big the fix is, usually it's small. It can be mm. you know, just a few minutes and the file's back in. So it's, it's nice to have that as an option. When you finish a page though, I, I guess, do you scan it? Uh, to send to the inker or or do you just send those physical pages directly to the inker? 
I send the physical pages. I know generally most people scan nowadays and inks are done on blue line. I really don't like doing that. Um, what, what does that mean? I like there line? to be one piece of original art, really, and that has nothing to do with the process or really the you know the the book itself. I like there to be one piece of original art, but also just for the inker's sake, I find most inkers tend to like to work on the original pencils. It's very difficult to work on blue line. Yeah, a lot of the detail gets lost, and it can be a little bit. There's a bit of a disconnect there, and a lot of times it shows. I think you know, with somebody like Danny Mickey, uh, it really doesn't show for me. Uh, he knows what he's doing so much, but I know he doesn't like working that way either. Can you just say what blue line is? Oh, right. Blue line, what it is, is you scan the pencils, which are, you know, pencil color, gray, uh, mm-hmm. into the computer, and then you just use Photoshop to turn them blue. And and it's we turn them blue because it's called non-repro blue, non-reproduction blue. And uh, um, you can easily adjust the slider and make it disappear. So once it's inked, if, if you were to scan... Um, pencil line onto another piece of paper that gray it would be very very difficult to separate it up from the black and you would have a bit of a messy looking page and it can't be erased because it's a it's a photocopy mm-hmm. but if you um photocopy out blue then you can just adjust the slider make the blue disappear and the inks look nice and clean so if danny mickey the the inker that you usually work with is working directly on those physical pages uh that you've penciled do you ever get them back i mean those pencils are, I assume, I guess, effectively lost forever once once he's drawn over them, right? They are, yeah. The pencils are gone forever. But, you know, the pencils for me are, uh, they're, they're part of the process. The art really isn't complete until it's inked. And, you know, mm-hmm. I really consider, especially when I work with an inker like Danny, um, I, I think that he's an integral part to the, the the process and to the finished artwork. And so to me, the pencils are not the art. It's it's the pencils and the inks together. And the, ultimately, yeah, the pencils are erased, but that's the original art as far as I'm concerned. When uh, you've finished with a page, do you send it off right away? Do you stick it in the mail as soon as you're done with it? Uh, or uh, do you sit on them for a bit in case you want to change something or rethink it? Well, it depends on a few factors. It depends on just how tight we are with the deadline. Usually it's pretty tight, so usually things will go out pretty quickly. Uh, I guess one factor it depends on, you know, if we're really tight, then I send pages out very regularly. If we're not as tight, I'll I'll build up five or six pages and send them uh, in a batch. But yeah, generally I'm, I'm, send, I'm drawing the pages and we're sending them. Have you ever had a page get lost in the mail? Never. I have lied about it. <laughs> I I've lied to editorial and and told them oh yeah I got lost in the mail and I know they didn't believe me but they were polite enough to go oh, okay that sucks yeah <laughs> so, I hope yeah, that no, doesn't I've, I've, too often it that only happened once it, all right um, but I have had pages heavily damaged but yeah never lost mm. um so after you're finished you know as we've discussed the pages go to an inker. Uh, can you just say a little bit more about what the inker does? Well, an inker, um, the original pencils look mostly just like the the actual inks do, especially with the way that people pencil now. It's, it, it's very, very tight. There was a time when pencils were very loose and inks, uh, the inker would, would put in the shadows and put in all the rendering and a lot of the background detail would all be done by the inker. And nowadays, that's not really the case, but um, 
so it's it's like a balance with the best inkers the balance is making it look as much like the pencils as you can keeping the character of the pencils and keeping the detail consistent but then adding that next that extra layer of polish and bringing out textures and making sure that like a, a good inker is very very good at taking a figure that's in the foreground very very close and separating it uh separating it from a figure that's in the background using line weights line weights are in a cartoon the the line around a figure that would delineate the outside of the figure um, is is the most important line. And the thickness of the line around that, if it's thicker, it will push it closer into the foreground. If it's thinner, it'll push it into the background. And the trick is to give it, to make a thicker line, but not make it look clunky and and um, overdone. And it's it's actually very few people do that really, really well. It's mm-hmm. an art unto itself. Uh, every part of inking is. Uh, I draw buildings and I I draw a grid uh, of perspective just with pencil and then I draw my buildings freehand on top of the grid and when it gets inked uh Danny will use a, a ruler and it makes it much more precise and clean and adds detail and there's there's so much that he brings to it hmm. and it's it's really something you 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 have to look at the pencils and then look at the ink side by side just to see just how much he does and I really respect inkers because they they don't get the respect they deserve you know, it really goes to the penciler, and the better the inker, the better people think the penciler is. But really, it's it's uh, it's all the inker. It sounds like you are in a position where you rely on your inkers a lot. Oh, I, uh, they, I really they do. Com- yeah, yeah. Um, do you have much say in who inks your work? I mean, given that that's such a kind of intimate collaboration in in many ways, uh, I imagine you really want the best possible person or someone that you have a good working relationship with. Well, absolutely. I want the best person I can get. Danny is, I think, the the best inker in the business. Um, I do have a choice of my inker for sure, but you know, my choice is limited on the inkers that are available and willing to work with me. You know, and somebody like Danny is always in in heavy demand, so uh, I try to be as nice to him as I can possibly be at all times. <laughs> You don't have to name names, but have you ever had bad experiences with an inker, someone who you felt messed up work that you had had struggled over really intensely? Oh, yeah, quite a bit. I've had that happen a lot. And, you know, there are times it can just be uh, really high quality inks and very, very well done, but a little heavy handed and really not keeping with the the flavor of what I do. I, I tend to be a little bit angular in places and, and more soft and curved in other places. And that's very important to me. And I, I think when that gets lost, it really loses uh, what I'm trying to get. And some inkers just don't pick up on that or they have their own style that's a little bit too strong. Uh, Danny really does have a style um, that you can really pick up. But I've been working with him for so long that Really, I've actually integrated a lot of what he does into my own style. So we fit together very, very well. So it's, yeah, it's a matter of finding a great inker, but also an inker that's appropriate. And, uh, you know, I've I've had inks that are, are totally helpless too, you know, where <laughs> things just completely get completely lost. And uh, in order to ink well, you'd really need to be able to draw because uh, muscle connections um, – are are not really an obvious thing, and if you don't if you don't understand, you mean in the bodies of your characters, right? Uh, it's it would be an easier thing for me to show than to describe. Sure. There, if you ever see somebody copy a piece of artwork that doesn't understand it, you'll see that things don't line up and things just look odd, and it can be a little difficult to pinpoint why. But 
you can see that it, it looks like it was clearly copied and not understood. Well, that mm -hmm. happens with inkers that don't know how to draw. Yeah, they've got to get that anatomy correctly. You have to, right, or at least know if you're going to change something or if you're going to, you know, interject something that it doesn't fight with what's there. And, you know, something it can be, it's amazing how small an error can be and it completely destroys the illusion. Hmm. Do you get to review the pages after the inker has has finished inking them or do they just go straight to the next step of the production process at that point? Well, both, you know, I, I always see them, you know, mm -hmm. but really more of a courtesy than anything. I'm I'm not telling Danny how to do his job. Like I said, sure. I try to be as nice to him as I can. You know? <laughs> and he knows what he's doing. So, uh, and I also Does he send you scans too. then or, or, yeah, he or sends, photo? he sends scans. Yeah. So I always see it, but you know, it, I, I, I find if you can work with the best and I feel this way about colors too, if I can work with the best and I don't like a particular page or I don't like a particular color, I keep my mouth shut because, <laughs> uh, I don't like it when somebody micromanages what I do. I'm going to make mistakes now and again. It's not going to always be my best, but I like to have the ability to, you know, kind of make those mistakes sometimes, you know? So yeah, I, I tend to leave people alone as much as I possibly can. Do other people leave you alone? Do you get much feedback from from writers like Tom or or from your editors at DC or the other publishing houses? Uh, DC's really great about it that way. I, I do at times. If I mess up costumes or, I mean, there have been times when um, we've gotten the whole book done and another editor from another book says, oh, you know, we've changed the costume for this particular character and I have to go through the whole book and fix it. And I mean, that mm -hmm. just happens. It's just the way it goes. Um, in terms of storytelling, I think with Tom, we had one page where I screwed up the storytelling and he really wanted to fix because it was just in order to make the, the story work the way it needed to work, we had to fix it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think he's, he's very similar. Like he's, he's great to work with. He's very collaborative, uh, in, you know, I'm not the most collaborative, unfortunately, but, <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think, you know, if it's absolutely necessary and, and the story won't really work without it, he's going to say something, of course, because he's got to protect mm -hmm. his own story. But um, otherwise, I'm sure there have been times when I've done things in, in ways that he didn't like and he hasn't said anything. You know, I, I would assume, you know. So we're going to be talking to the the letterer uh, in uh, a future episode um, or a letterer that you that you all work with on Batman in a future episode. Mm -hmm. But um one thing that I imagine most people don't know is that that when you draw the page, there are no word bubbles on it, right? But that's right. Yeah, that's right. That's and, all. You know, there are times. Later on. It's all dead. Yeah, there was a time. You know, just right around when I was getting in, it was being phased out. This twenty three years ago. Um, the letter would actually, on the pencils, would cut out word balloons and and paste them on, and then the inks would be done afterwards. Um, but I've actually never even seen it done that way. I just, I know that's how they used to do it. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, nowadays, all of the artwork, the inks, everything, the colors, it's all done. And then the letters are, are done afterwards. So uh, I, I've had a lot of times when I put a lot of work into things that just get completely covered by word balloons. And, you know, I, I think I've been doing this long enough that I just, I'm philosophical about it. You know, it's going to happen. I, I don't stress about it. But uh the other structural details on the page, things like uh, the edges of the panels, you are responsible for those kind of details. You're the the sort of first person placing that stuff on the page, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, so I would determine, well, the writer really determines how many panels there are. I can deviate from that if I feel the need. But I, I tried as much as I possibly can. I try to be as true to the script as I can be. Um, writers in comics now, I mean, these are the best of the best. You know, it is not an easy business to get into. And to rise to the top of it, these are writers that, you know, what I'm going to work with, I want to make the artwork fit the story as well as I can. So if it says five mm -hmm. panels on a page, unless I have a really specific reason, I'll make it five panels. But, but the actual shape of the panels, the size of the panels, those kinds of things, um, you know, sometimes that's dictated too. And and um, I'll, I'll stay with that. I think if, if I think it works, that can, I can be a little bit more creative with. Uh, but yeah. Um, Do you think of those panel layouts as part of the storytelling process? I mean, they, you know, I was looking at uh, one of your issues uh, on of Batman this morning, and I was really struck by the ways that, that a row of panels of diminishing size in one case uh, really kind of pulls the eye along the page differently. How, how much are you thinking about the way that these panel layouts and structural details shape the reader's experience as you're drawing? Well, you know, quite a bit and not that much, really, you know, because it really it really does make a big difference. A long horizontal panel can really slow things down and give the story a, a, a bit of a longer beat and, and and a little breathing room. And then tall vertical panels move much, much quicker and can be a little bit more dynamic. Uh, they show less and your eye just moves through them much more quickly. So... Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, small panels are, again, a little quicker and they, they have a little less important importance and they can, you know, add a little nuance or detail. And then larger panels give you an overall, either a bigger impact, which is really important at times, or um, context, which can be very important. So it, it means a lot of things. Um, and like you said, having diminishing panels, uh, it, it can uh, make things a little bit more claustrophobic. And it also can, from a storytelling beat standpoint, can build up to like a, a big moment, uh, I think more effectively than just even panels. But mm -hmm. yeah, I got to be honest, I don't really overthink the stuff that much when I'm doing <laughs> it. I think for the most part, I just go for it. Fair. Totally fair. Um, do you, at this point in your career, do you have to go looking for work? Do you have to pitch editors, uh, try to track people down, or, or does work come looking for you? Uh, well, you know, pitching work really is a writer job. That's yeah. that's part of the reason why writing is so difficult. As an artist, it's very, very easy. Um, but I, I've never really had to pitch for work my whole career, mm -hmm. you know. And so I've been very lucky that way. I started out at Top Cow uh, as an intern, and, you know, they, they just kept us working and kept us busy. And then once I started drawing, uh, it was going well enough that I, I went from one, one project to another, and Marvel was the same way. Um, I've always, generally speaking, whenever I finish with something, I've had a few different options to pick from. So I've been very, very lucky that way. I know, you know, the best writers, uh, it's it's a much more difficult process to get a book going. I, I get a script, it's already done, the story's great, and I can just start drawing. Um, so yeah, it's kind of nice. Tom told us that he got into a fight w with uh, his editor, uh, who was originally working with him on issue 24 of Batman because he wanted you on the book so badly. Are you conscious of all at all of those kind of behind the scenes plans and conversations uh, as you're working or, or are you just sort of sequestered off by yourself in, in Canada? Uh, well, you know, I am. I, I certainly wasn't part of any of it, but I know, you know, just from talking to him about it that mm -hmm. uh, 
uh, you know, that had happened. So, yeah. uh, you know, and look, really, <laughs> these kinds of things, I've had that kind of thing happen myself where I've, I've had uh, a major disagreement with a writer or a big disagreement with an editor and uh, it, it doesn't go well and I've ended up leaving a project because of it. But, you know, they're, they're creative differences. Rarely is it is like a personality conflict. It's, you know, it's two people with a strong idea of what they want the final product to be. And let's face it, it's a tough job. If you don't care, you wouldn't be doing it. So, you know, these kinds of things happen. Yeah. What What's the, if I can ask, what's the financial side of the business like for you? Is is it, it's maybe a dumb question, but is it a sustainable line of work? Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah. It's, um, it's the kind of job that can pay very, very little or a lot, you know, and it really depends on where you are. And I'm very, very fortunate. Um I I got into Marvel right around the time when you know Joe Quesada was was the editor in chief. Um, it was a high energy time for Marvel. Uh, I did uh, New Avengers, which is the biggest comic uh, you know of the year at the time, and it brought Avengers into the forefront above X Men. So that was great for me, and uh, I started doing much better. And you know, I've really kind of never looked back in in that way. And I, I think also um, I came up at a time when when Wizard Magazine was around, and Wizard Magazine used to have a list of the top. 10 hottest artists and then later on when writers became more important uh they had a list of of the top 10 hottest writers too and uh, uh i was on the top 10 hottest artist list for a long long time and mm. that made a big difference just for perception and that doesn't exist anymore there's really no you know definitive list i mean it was pretty arguable at the time too but um <laughs> it's much more difficult for an artist to really break out and make a name nowadays. And I'm mm -hmm. lucky that I broke out and made a name when, when that was still kind of happening and I've kind of reaped the benefits ever since. So, you know, mm -hmm. I'm doing great. I'm thrilled. I'm very grateful. So you get uh, paid by the page that you turn in, right? Do you also get yeah. royalties? Um. Yeah. Well, Yes, <laughs> both. Yeah. I mean, it gets a little complex and I've got a lawyer and there's a, it's like a whole business side to it that honestly, I, mm -hmm. I try to stay out of as much as I can. But um, yeah, I get paid in quite a few different ways. Mm -hmm. Do you have to spend much time promoting your work, going to conventions and such? Uh, well, you know, I, I don't have to, I, I guess, but I think it's very, very helpful. Um, and I'm, I'm in Canada but I'm really lucky that I'm so close to the United States because really most of the conventions are, are there. And, you know, the fact that I can go to conventions and make an, a connection with people and um, uh, be seen, it, it really helps me stay relevant. I think it makes a big difference. Mm -hmm. um, historically, one way that artists, comics artists made made kind of extra money was by selling uh, original art uh, to fans. Is that something that you ever do these days? I, I do not directly. I've got a, an art dealer, uh, that mm -hmm. does that, but yeah. Yeah. And you know, it's a, it's a pretty big business, you know, it's, yeah. it's an important part of what I do for sure. Is that something that you have to balance with your inker since they've also drawn directly on the pages? Uh, well, traditionally there's a 70, 30 split or uh, another way to do it is, uh, I would get um, three pages for every page that the inker gets is pretty much the traditional inker penciler split. 
So mm-hmm. with Danny, we have the same art dealer. So when we sell pages, we both just take a cut of the page. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And if, if I wasn't working with, uh, if we had a different art dealer, um, a lot of times what will happen is there'll be a phone call and we'll, we'll negotiate, you know, over pages. And I've done that before mm-hmm. with Inkers too. And it can get kind of contentious because there's like one great page in that issue. <laughs> and, uh-huh. you know, the person that gets it's going to do very, very well. And the other pages are really worth nothing. And who gets that page? <laughs> you know, it can be a little bit, be a little tough. Sure. What, what do you love most about doing this work, about drawing comics for a living? Uh, you know, really just the drawing. Um, I, I love sitting down and drawing. It's time flies for me too much, really. I wish it would go a little slower. Um, and you know, when it's really working and it, I really feel it, there's, there's, uh, there's a joy in that, that, you know, it's hard to get anywhere else. Uh, I mean, there's a whole lot of stress that goes into it and, you know, there are deadlines and there's a self doubt and, you know, every time an artist comes along that, that I think is phenomenal. And I know I just, I can't compete with it stresses me out and I have an incredibly difficult time just appreciating their work because I'm such a huge fan of comic art. And it's always, it's sad for me when there's an artist that I'm a huge fan of and I find it difficult to enjoy it just because it it's bringing up my own insecurities so much. That's something I fight with all the time. I think we all do. Sure, yeah. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us today. This was a pleasure and I learned a lot. Well, thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Working. I'm Jacob Brogan. This week, we also want to recommend that you check out Trumpcast, a quasi-daily podcast from Slate that sets out to understand the real Donald Trump. Jacob Weisberg, chairman of Slate, along with the brilliant writer Virginia Heffernan and Slate chief political correspondent Jamel Bowie, will be talking to historians, psychiatrists, and other experts to help explain who this man is and why this is happening right now in the United States of America. We'd also love to hear your thoughts about working. Our email address is working at slate.com. I read those emails uh, and I try to reply to all of them if I can. You can also listen to past episodes at slate.com slash working. Thanks to Taylor Alexis Wisner, who helped record this episode and made sure everything sounded great. And uh, thanks to AC Valdez, who I am looking at right now in the booth. This episode of Working was produced and edited by Benjamin Frisch. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.